God to have done a wonderful work in their lives. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you that uh, you're involved in our lives in every aspect, even when we don't think about it. You use every experience in our life to, uh, to change us, to bring us closer to you, to make us more like your son, Jesus. We pray that that's been happening in these youth and in Dan and, and Anthony. Lord, uh, I pray that you would work even during the worship service up there today. Please bless them and keep them safe as they travel back. And Lord, here, please uh, work in our hearts and our minds this morning. Please uh, help us to uh, be able to close the door on some thoughts or worries or concerns and be able to open the door to you and your Holy Spirit and uh, let you speak to us through your word this morning. We pray this thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll notice a little bit different uh, than usual when uh, when I normally preach. There's an outline for you on the power on the uh, screen, but for some reason our our software didn't want to accept my sermon, and I don't know what whether that was Satan saying he doesn't want God's word going out today or in a way that's easy to understand. Whatever, um, I'll be careful to kind of give you my outline as I go along in case you're you're one of those who likes to think organized thoughts and and, uh, and write notes down. The, the year was 1972. The place was a new residential area in northern San Diego in California. Uh, it was nearly adjacent to Miramar Naval Air Station, which is now Miramar, uh, Miramar uh, Marine Air Base, <laughs> I think. The contractor had scraped off... Had scraped off the uh, vegetation of the mesa, and had planted a thousand homes. The task, Joan and I, my wife and I, and our two preschool children, had been called to plant a church in this new community. What was supposed to be a nucleus of believers there to help us in that job turned out to be Joan and me and our preschoolers. It was a challenging situation, to say the least. But it was also a great opportunity. I was a young pastor. I was in my mid-twenties. I'd never done much door-to-door evangelism before, and as a young pastor, I didn't have a lot of experience sharing my faith with strangers. I was used to preaching and calling on people and counseling and and all of that, but I hadn't done a lot of door-to-door work. I knew, however, that if we were to be successful in our ministry there, I'd better learn quickly. My schedule those days was really uncomplicated. I'd spend the mornings uh, studying, preparing for the weekend, preparing a sermon for Sunday. And then I'd go out and and spend the bulk of the day knocking on doors, learning how to share the gospel. Uh, I didn't didn't see myself as being really successful in that. In the the suburbs, in that area... uh, I had to knock on a certain number of doors just to find somebody home. And I learned that basically every 14 doors, on average, I would be able to have somebody open the door. But then to have somebody listen to me, because there were so many door-to-door salesmen in that area, in that new community, that was another challenge. To just strike up a conversation without them saying, no, I'm not interested, and shut the door on my face. Occasionally, I would find someone who really wanted to talk. 
And then I had to try to shift the conversation to, <laughs> to the topic I wanted to talk about. So it, it was really a learning experience for me. But God used that, and he started building our church. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about people. I learned about how to share the gospel. This morning, we're going to look together at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the first eight verses. And we're going to learn together from one of the preeminent evangelists, the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're working our way through 1 Thessalonians. And before we dive into today's passage, let's review for a moment and set the context for today's message. If you remember from last week and the week before, in chapter 1, uh, we had backed up into the book of Acts, chapter 16 and 17, and learned how Paul and Silas and Timothy had gone to Thessalonica to share the gospel. But they had first been in Philippi. And in Philippi, there was great success, but there was also great persecution. And Paul and Silas found themselves illegally, tremendously beaten, and then thrown into a dungeon, locked in stocks. And they were joyfully singing hymns about midnight. And what, what happened, remember? Remember? All the prison doors opened by themselves, by the power of God. The jailer, remember what he did, his reaction? He was about ready to kill himself because he figured everybody escaped. And Paul says, no, no, we're all here, wait. What was the Philippian jailer's next response? What must I do to be saved? And it says that then Paul went to his house and shared the gospel with him and his whole household. And they all prayed to receive Christ. They were all baptized. They were all saved. They went from Philippi then, uh, having been run out of town, they, you know, please leave our town. And they went to Thessal Thessalonica. And uh, the first Sunday he went, or first Sabbath, excuse me, he went into the synagogue. There were a few Jews there. There were some Jewish women. And there were a lot of Greek believers there. And he preached the gospel. And he was there for three Sabbaths, it says, in First Thessalonians and in the book of Acts. And uh, there was a good response. But there were also a lot of Jewish uh, people who were upset about this gospel and about the Messiah. And they began calling uh, Silas and Paul names. They, they raised up a mob against them. They took them before the magistrate. It was, it was a tough time. And they ran Paul and Silas and Timothy out of town. <laughs> it was the, the pattern for Paul's ministry. It didn't happen to me in San Diego, thankfully. Then Paul goes on and he ends up in Athens. And he's thinking about these Thessalonian Christians. And he sends Timothy back to find out, how's this little church doing? Are they surviving? Are they doing okay? Timothy came back and met him when Paul was in Corinth. And he gave him a wonderful report about how this church was just growing and thriving. However, those same Jews who had been after Paul and Silas were still there. And they were uh, saying all sorts of bad things about Saul, uh, Paul and Silas. They were saying that they were preaching a false gospel. They were slandering them. They had false motives. They were just in it for the money. Everything you could think of, they were trying to discourage these new Christians. So... Paul reminds in his letter to the Thessalonians here, 
he reminds them that he and Silas had, despite the persecution, preached the gospel with a spirit that was not false, not with false motives, but rather faithful to God with pure, unselfish motives and full of tender love. And that's where we find ourselves now in Second, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and the first verses. Together, uh, we're going to see Paul sharing his heart. And we're going to discover some principles about how we, like Paul, can effectively share the gospel and lead others to follow Jesus. So let's read with me. You don't have the verses on the screen, so you'll have to use your phone or your iPad or actually a paper Bible, possibly. <laughs> and read with me, follow along in First Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were pleased, well pleased, to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Evangelism, witnessing, sharing the gospel. What emotions do those words uh, trigger within you? Think about it for a second. If, if I asked you, hey, let's spend today going knocking on doors here in Enoch and trying to win people for Christ, would your first reaction be, yeah, I'm ready, let's go? Or would it be, I'm not so sure. I don't know enough. I don't think I'm ready to do that. Would anybody have a hesitation? Yeah, I think most of us would. Depending on your personality type uh, and, and how long you've been a Christian, some of these things factor into it. But in our society, quite frankly, I'm finding that most believers, while they know what they believe and why they believe and they've experienced salvation through Jesus Christ, they don't feel comfortable bringing up the topic to other people. I understand that. I was the same way. But you know what? We have a mandate we have a mandate from God himself. Did you know that sharing the gospel <clears throat> is not optional? Did you know that? What did Jesus say in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20? He says, all power, all authority has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples. Right? Teaching people to observe all that I have commanded you. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Baptizing him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when the, the, the apostles were, were there with Jesus and he was about to ascend back into heaven, he says, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
He's going to give you power. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all the earth. You are going to be. He doesn't say, would you please? If you get around to it, or if you feel brave enough, would you talk to somebody about me? He said, you shall be my witnesses. Think about court. What, what is a witness? To be a good witness, you have to either have personally observed something or experienced something so that you can then testify to the facts of the case. As witnesses for Jesus, what he wants us to do is first of all, we had to have had a genuine experience and be able to share that experience with somebody else. Well, why in the world would we want to do that? Any, any clue why we would want to share Christ with somebody else? If they don't know Jesus, where are they going to end up? Hell! If we really love our neighbor, <clears throat> if we're really concerned about where they're going to spend eternity. That's a long time. We should be carefully thinking about this mandate that Jesus has given us. He's not just giving us that mandate so that we can be good people and good disciples. He's given us mandate to spread his gospel, to bring people with us to heaven when we die. Sharing the gospel ought to be a natural thing. You know, in chapter 4 of Acts, the, the Christians were being persecuted. Paul and, and uh, Barnabas was with him, I think. We're standing before the uh, Sanhedrin, and they were charged, do not again share the name of Jesus. What was Paul's response? I, I, I'm, excuse me, back up a second. It's, I'm talking about Paul. It's Peter and John we're talking about that are standing before the Sanhedrin. I got my apostles mixed up there. They said, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. We can't stop. It's in us. It's burning to get out of us. But it doesn't always feel natural, does it? See, part of what I want to do today is help us to really think through that whole aspect of why. Why do I feel reluctant? Why do I feel afraid? And how can I get past that? It ought to be a natural response. Uh, Michelle and our worship team were uh, at a worship conference in Nashville for a few days this last week. And she uh, shared a story with me this morning uh, about a young lady that she met. I'd like her to share it with you. Um, yeah, so a couple of weeks ago, <coughs> several of us on the worship team went to Nashville for a worship conference. And um, Michelle... And Crystal, who are worship members, um, Michelle leads worship at Hurricane Baptist, um, they went along with us. So Crystal is um, a new believer, maybe three months, um, that's about it. And um, she is on their worship team, so she went along with them. And she was telling me a little bit of her story. So um, she said that she was searching for God for a really long time. And she got into, I believe it was New Age for a while, it said it really confused her really messed her up is the way she said it. Um, and she knew it wasn't right. So she said, okay, Zion is in the Bible, so I'm going to go to Zion to find God. I want to find God. So she went and spent some time in Zion. She took a Bible with her, and she found God in Zion. Um, I don't know exactly the story. Um, it's a long story that she has. But she decided, okay, since I'm a Christian, I need to find a church. 
And she said, this church looks good, and it happened to be Hurricane Baptist. So she went in, and that's where she met Michelle and got involved. Um, so she, Michelle said, come with us to the worship leader conference. And one thing she said as she was there, I just love watching her because she's so excited about the Lord. She is reading her Bible whenever she has a chance. She always has her Bible with her. And one thing she said to me, she said, why didn't someone tell me about him sooner? She said, I can't believe it. She, okay, so being a new Christian and being around Christians all the week and how she is, she's so excited. Having her Bible and learning so much about God, she's excited. And then being at a worship conference for two full days where you are just fed the word of God. And when you're with worship leaders and worship songs constantly, she was just like, I can't believe this is real. I can't believe this is happening. Why did I not know about this sooner? Why didn't somebody tell me? And um, it's just amazing to watch her. She is so excited. She can't hold it in when she worships. Okay, she can't. She's like, you can't hold it in when you love God and there's all this going on around you. So that's just what he wanted me to tell you. Thank you, Michelle. A new believer says, why didn't someone tell me sooner? Wouldn't you hate to stand before Jesus and have another Christian standing before Jesus alongside of you and looking at you said, I'm so glad I'm here. I'm so glad I'm a believer. But we've known each other for a long time. Why didn't you tell me about him? It took somebody else to tell me. So the mandate, it's not optional. It should be a natural thing for us to share, something that's exciting to us. Sharing the gospel is not up to us. It's up to the Holy Spirit. It's motivated and empowered by him. In Acts chapter 18, verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Holy Spirit, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. The word compelled is the idea of pushing, moving you along, saying, do this. you got to do it now. Have you ever felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit in your heart? You're in a situation, and he's just nudging you to say something, and you know you should, and you have a decision to make. Do I say it or do I not? What's going to happen if I say this? What are they going to think of me? The Holy Spirit will nudge us, will compel us, if we're open to the gospel and of sharing the gospel. So the mandate is there. There's also the message. Look at verses 1 and 2 of, of, our, of chapter 2. It says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. The word in vain talks about being not hollow or not empty. Basically, he's saying it was full and running over. Our message was powerful. It was full. It was true. It was sincere. It's the word of God. It's God's good news. If you look at verse 2, it says, We were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. In verse 4, he says, We've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. You look at verse 8. It says, We were longing to impart to you the gospel of God. All the way through this passage, he's talking about the content, the message, the gospel of God. What does the word gospel mean? Anybody know? Good news. Yeah. So what is the good news? What's so good about the gospel? It's not just good news. It's great news. It's life-changing, eternally good news. 
Paul summarized it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Basically, he said, here's the gospel in a nutshell. Christ died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again on the third day. That is the core of the gospel. How do you share it? Well, let me tell you um, a story. Our, our son, Michael, was five years old. He was in kindergarten at a Christian school in Poway, California, down near San Diego. I picked him up from school one day, <clears throat> and the first question a parent asks a child is what? How was your day, right? And he was excited. He could hardly wait to tell me. He said, Dad, it was great. I said, oh, what's so great about it? He said, my heart changed colors. <laughs> I said, what? Your heart changed colors? He says, yeah, my heart was black. I said, why was it black? Because of sin, Daddy. I've, I've done bad things. This is a five-year-old, right? I've done wrong things. And, and, and God says, if I've sinned, if I've done wrong things, I can't go to heaven when I die. I said, wow. Anything else happened? He says, yeah, it turned red. Said, turned red? How'd that happen? He says, because God so loved me. He loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And Jesus died for me. And his blood washed away all that sin. Wow. Anything else happened? He says, yeah, it turned white. Turned white. Why? He says, because now I don't have any sin. I, when God looks at me, I'm forgiven. This is a, you know, a five-year-old. He's a smart kid. <laughs> I said, well, anything else happen? He says, yeah, it turned gold. Why did it turn gold? He says, because when I die, Daddy, because I believe in Jesus, I gave my heart to him. I get to walk the streets of gold in heaven with him. Wow. Anything else? He says, yeah, it turned green. Green? He says, yeah, like grass and like trees. They're growing, and God wants me to grow and be more like Jesus. I was so excited, but I was also jealous. I had wanted to lead my son to the Lord, and I didn't realize he was ready. And somebody else, a Good News Club evangelist from Child Evangelism Fellowship, had been their chapel speaker that day. And God had used that wordless book with those colors to be able to change my son's heart. I was... I was thrilled. Now, how simple is that? Could you explain the, the, the change of colors of a heart to somebody? Sure you could. And all you got to do is find a, a, one verse to go with each of those things to help explain it from God's word. Black, red, white, gold, and green. That's the gospel message. You don't have to be a theologian a Bible scholar, a pastor, in order to share the gospel. What if you made a bracelet or you went online to Child Evangelism Fellowship and ordered one? You can even order them on Amazon, uh, a, a wordless bracelet, a good news bracelet. So it's a, just a simple bracelet with beads on it of those colors. And just wear it. I can guarantee you that somebody's going to ask you, what's that bracelet you got on? They ask, you can answer. They've given you permission. Oh, it's, it's a good news bracelet. You want to hear about it? It's really cool. And you just go right through it. And you can plant seeds. You can share the gospel in a very easy way, in a very natural way. 
There are so many tools at our disposal on how to share the gospel. But basically, it comes back to what we talked about at the beginning. It's something wonderful has happened to you. And if you don't feel like it's wonderful, then we need to talk because there's something askew there. Something's not quite right. If if it's the most important thing that ever happened to you, how can you not want to share it with somebody else? We... uh, in our, in our Bible study group, we, have a, we meet on Thursday afternoons at our home in Parowan. Um, last week, uh, we had a visitor, uh, a nice older lady, uh, older than me, so she's older, <laughs> came for the first time. She loves the Lord, and she was anxious and loved the Bible study. She's hard of hearing, so she sat right up next to me. We had some good conversation. And she was excited. I gave her an outline, and she was excited to do her homework for the next week. The next day, she had a a massive stroke. And uh, now she's in what used to be Bellaterra in a Cedar City rehab on hospice care, not expected to survive. One day, all the difference in the world. What if she weren't a believer? And I had not had the opportunity or had not taken the opportunity to share the gospel with her. Where would she be when, when her time is done? It made me stop and think. We, we have a, an acquaintance, uh, another one of the older ladies, she's 91 years old and is in our Bible study, uh, was working with Southern Utah uh, Mortuary to get things in order. She's, she's in fine health. She's in better health than most of us. But she's thinking about the future. I'm 91, almost 92. I want to make sure I've got things taken care of. So she was working with Bryce Paul, the uh, uh, head guy there, uh, customer service, working with with those clients. And he'd been over to our house several times. He was the one that helped Joan and me with uh, arrangements for Joan's mom when she passed away a couple years ago. Nice fella. Tremendously overweight. He came in last week to talk to her, and, uh, and she was eating a, a very healthy dinner. And he, and he looked at her and patted her on her and said, Oh, you, he, you eat so healthy. You're probably going to outlive me. And that kind of struck her kind of strange. Within the last week, he had an aneurysm and passed away. They had a viewing for him Friday at the mortuary there. You don't know. What, how many days God has numbered for you? You don't how many days God has numbered for those that you meet. And I, and I really believe that God intends <clears throat> for us to have what I call a last days mentality. Where we, view, we, look, we talk to somebody, we meet somebody for the first time, and sincerely in our heart we're wondering, does this person know the Lord? Because he could walk in front of a car tomorrow. He could, who knows how long God has given that person. And if we don't take the opportunity to share with that person, when we have the opportunity, not that we have to make a sale, but share our experience, share our testimony. You know, if we're wanting to do that, the Holy Spirit will open the door of the conversation. He's faithful. He does that time after time after time. He says, salt your speech. With, with gospel truth and see if it raises a, a question or a curiosity out of the person you're conversing with but develop that last day's mentality a real sincere desire to take as many with you to heaven 
as possible. So our mandate, our message, so the mindset, if you look at uh, verse 2 in our chapter, it says, even after we'd suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel in much conflict. We were bold in our God. So our mindset is being dependent upon God, being bold in him. That word bold doesn't mean brash and yelling and loud and beating somebody over the head with the Bible. That's not what we're talking about. Boldness literally means freedom of speech. Having your tongue loosed so you're able to talk. So you're looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And you're asking the Holy Spirit to direct conversations. And he will do that. But then we need to be loose-tongued, bold, free to share what we know. I was sharing in our, in our adult class this morning how God doesn't waste any experience in your life. Every experience you have, he can turn around and use as part of your testimony and your witness. I've shared with you before, I've had colon cancer a few times, and, and I, I end up over at the, the Cedar Cancer Clinic occasionally getting iron infusions, and I do it in the chemo lab there. And God always puts me next to somebody who's been through or is going through colon cancer. And so it's natural to strike. You're just sitting there with an IV, right? What are you going to do? <laughs> you know, some people sleep, but I like to talk. So we strike up a conversation, and I find that most people who are going through a significant disease uh, are okay sharing it with somebody in a similar situation or a similar context. And so I'll ask about it, and and. We start talking about cancer, and I'll say, yeah, this is probably the chemo you're having, and here's what you're feeling. I've been there a couple of times. It's hard, isn't it? How are you getting through it? And they'll talk you know, about how they're trying to cope and deal. You know, you know what? I, I went through the same stuff. Let me tell you what helped me. And then I have an open door. I've, I've paid the dues. You know, I'm, I'm part of the cancer club. So <laughs> I've earned my credentials to be able to share. And I say, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I, I was lying in that bed as a 35-year-old, as a, as a and the doctor had told me he had a successful surgery, but it was in my lymph glands, headed to my liver. You have 25% chance to survive five years. Any questions? <laughs> and I was at my lowest emotionally. I, I had all these expectations and hopes and dreams, and I saw them gone. And then a pastor shared some scripture with me. Uh, where David is, is nearly, he's running for his life, and he says, but as for me, I say you're my God, I trust in you, my times are in your hands. And that changed my whole perspective, and I was able to use that experience to share with somebody else who's going through what I know was a tough time that might be hopeless in their eyes. Whatever experience God's led you through or will lead you through, he will use that as a platform, as paying your dues to be able to share with somebody who's going through a similar experience. And you share genuinely from your heart what God has done for you. And it raises questions, and God's word has the answers. Be dependent and bold. And he says, I did it in much agony, in much uh, conflict. The word letter, literally is where we get our English word agonize. Paul was so intent on sharing the gospel with these Thessalonian non-believers that he was 
It was like he was in agony. He was so intense in his heart, wanting desperately for these people to come to know the Messiah. So your mandate, your message, your mindset, what was his motive for doing all of this? Look at verses 3 through 6. Our exhortation didn't come from error or uncleanness or in deceit, but we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. His mindset, his motive, was to be approved as God's steward. God entrusted him with the gospel message. Did you know that God, when you came to be a believer, has entrusted you with this wonderful, the best message in the whole world? He trusts you with it. Uh, We uh, watched our great-grandsons for the last week uh, while their mom was out of town. Uh, a 12, 8, and 5-year-old. I could entrust more to my 12-year-old great-grandson than I could <laughs> to our hyperactive, always-moving 5-year-old. <laughs> yeah, I had to always watch what he was holding, what he was getting into, what he was touching, because I knew it was likely to be broken or lost. But God, God knows us. He knows our tendencies, and he trusts us With the gospel. But not just to hold on to and thank God that we have it, but to share it. He says, I trust you. And he says, I'm a steward. I represent him with that good news. And I'm accountable to him. He says, he tests our hearts. Do you ever stop and say, God, I voluntarily open my heart to you. You already know what's in there, but please examine me. That's what David said in the psalm several times. Test me. Try me. Create in me a clean heart. We are accountable to God with what he's trusted us in our care. And finally, the method. You know, Paul had a simple strategy. Uh, If you look at verse 3, He says, our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness. The word exhortation, literally it means to come alongside. Come alongside, put your arm around a person. Sometimes it's it's a person you know and have a relationship with, and you're, you're counseling or correcting them, saying, you know what, you're really kind of messed up there. Let me let me help you figure this out. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's coming up to somebody you don't have a relationship with yet and saying, Oh, you know, your conversation has gone a certain way. Let me share something with you. I think that will really encourage you. And it's coming alongside that person. He exhorted. He was coming alongside, and he was sharing the word. His, His words were sincere. He says, I didn't speak with flattering words. Not just trying to make a sale. Not just trying to put another notch on your your gun handle. <laughs> you know, it's sincere because you care about this person and want this person to go to heaven. It's also sensitive. Verse 7, he says, We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Again, not necessarily brash or abrasive. It's, it's genuinely caring for the person you're with. You can tell when you're having a conversation with somebody whether they're they're really sincere and not or they're just talking. They're just putting you on. We need to make sure that our heart motive is sincerity 
and talking with somebody and then sharing with them. Verse 8, he says, We affectionately were, were longing for you. We were well pleased to impart not only the gospel of God to you, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. There's an old saying, the gospel is easier caught than taught. What do you think that means? It's the idea that you build a relationship out of genuine care for the person, and then you demonstrate by your lifestyle, by the way you act toward them and toward others, so that what they're seeing is consistent in you, and you are effectively reflecting Jesus himself. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they'll see the good things you're doing and they'll glorify your Father who's in heaven. Don't do it for good works to earn your way to heaven. You can't do that. But do it because God said love each other and share my gospel. You do it by sharing yourselves. I've kind of put a lot on you this morning. Part of me says, I hope you're not feeling guilty. Part of me says, I hope you are. <laughs> you know, uh, as I've shared before, my, my approach to studying God's word is to ask questions. It helps me to learn and to understand. But one of the most important questions that I ask when I've come to uh, kind of unpacking the verses I'm studying the question is, so what? You know, we can understand what happened here in Thessalonica. We can understand what Paul did. We can understand the message. So what? What difference is it going to make in my life and in your life when we walk out those doors? It doesn't do any good to understand it and just leave it there. This is life-changing stuff. This morning, God's given us an inside look at Paul's heart. We've seen what drove him and why. We've also seen that God has given us that same mandate. As I've studied this passage, the Holy Spirit has answered most of my questions, but that one important question still remains, and it convicts me. I'm not standing here as one who is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. I'm still struggling. I'm still learning. I'm still trying to get up the courage to be able to talk to somebody I don't know. I'm still praying that God would, would burden my heart every day with a, a, a love and a concern for people that I meet that I don't know if they're going to heaven or not. We think about the, uh, you know, the, the houses that were flooded here in Enoch so badly this last week with that storm. Praise God, we don't know of any lives that were lost, but there were lives that were threatened. What if your neighbor was stranded in their house and the, the water was rising and you were the only one around? Would you say, boy, I sure hope you get out? Or would you dive in and do everything you could to rescue that person? That's the condition of people around us every day. So are you going to stand by and say, I hope someone shares the gospel with you? Or are you going to dive in and open the conversation? I'd love to talk to you more about it. Um, if you have questions or like someone to pray with you, I'd be glad to do that. Pastor Dan, when he gets back, can do that. It's, it's time for us to get serious about what we're doing. 
It's not playing church. We have the most powerful good news possible. And God wants us to learn to share it with others. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you.